When the music fades And all is stripped away And I simply come Longing just to bring Something that's a word That will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you All about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it And it's all about you It's all about you Deeper within 
through the way things appear you're looking into my heart oh yeah i'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you oh yes it's all about you jesus i'm sorry lord for the It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
comes with no conditions. Yes, you give us your whole heart. My hope is in the blood of Jesus. I know who I am because of who you are. I know who I am because of who this is on. Yes. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this new day, Father. We pray that you bless our minds, our hearts, and our souls with your divine light and peace. Unite us always into your heart, Lord, so that every thought we are thinking, every word that we are saying, and every action that we are choosing are in accordance with your divine will for us. Thank you for your loving us so faithfully. Be always at our side and always be our strong support in moments of pain, sadness, and frustration. Lord, we pray that you continue to shepherd us and bless our souls with wisdom that we may always see your presence in all things and to give ourselves in the service of our family and to the needy without counting the cost. Lord, we're so grateful that you've chose us to be your children. We want to worship you with our lives and serve you all the days, for we are your grateful people. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. If this is your first time joining us for our worship service, we're so glad that you're here. On your way in, you should have received a bulletin. On there, you will find our Connect card. If you are looking to get connected with the church, we encourage you to fill out that Connect card so we can get to know you. 
If you have new contact information, please fill out the connect card so we can keep you updated. On the other side, you will find our prayer card. If you have anyone in your life who is in need of prayer, please fill out the prayer card or visit our website at ljcc.org prayer. On your way out, you can drop these cards off in the foyer or the box mounted on the wall. It's easy to get distracted by our busy lives. We lose focus on what matters most and forget to spend time with our Creator and Savior. Let's reconnect with the Lord. We invite you and your family to join us Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. for our weekly prayer night. Gather with us as we take time to refocus our lives on God and refresh our spirits in His presence. Summer is full of sunshine and family fun. There's no better way to enjoy this season than to come to our family summer bash on Wednesday, August 16th at 6.30 p.m. There will be fun summer activities for all ages, including family games, water games, and crafts. A main course for dinner will be provided, but please bring a side dish or dessert to share. We hope you'll join in on the fun. And don't forget to bring your own chair or blanket to sit on. Hi, my name is Hiroko Wilson. I have been a member at LJCC for over 13 years and have been helping the Bannister Family House as part of the UCSD Faculty and Staff Christian Fellowship for the past two years. The Bannister Family House was started by Ralph Bannister when his wife and daughter were treated at UCSD hospital and he witnessed many families sleeping in the hallway and waiting rooms while their loved ones were going through complex medical procedures. Families are able to stay weeks or often months at one of two family houses here in San Diego, one in Hillcrest, one in La Jolla. On Sunday, August 20, we will be partnering with the La Jolla Family House by assembly and donating 50 to 60 welcome bags. Those welcome bags are given to guests at the time of check-in and each bag is filled with various items are useful for families who have to spend many days away from their homes in hospital rooms and waiting rooms. If you like to donate some of the items that will be included in the welcome bags, please bring a cup of noodle or granola bar or packet of a Kleenex tissue. Please come and help us support on Sunday, August 20, after service to help assemble these welcome bags. Years ago, I, uh, several years ago, I got a call from a friend who said, hey, we have a family, uh, you know, some friends uh, who uh, are here, they're a family, uh, they have a loved one in the hospital, their daughter, PLNU, got some incredibly out of the blue thing happened to her, and she's at Scripps, and uh, they need a place to stay for a couple weeks, and, you know, it's super expensive doing that off, off you know, just off the cuff, what do we do? And it was so neat to be able to say, Hiroko told me about Bannister House. I thought, what a great gift to be able to say to somebody, this is, this is for you. And it was neat because in the body of Christ, there's a network, you know. So this is one example of all the kinds of things we're trying to do to not, uh, one, you know, uh, with one hand tied behind our back, take on the needs of the world, but to say, what can we do to contribute to God's mission in the world, this movement of God's spirit? 
Sometimes we initiate things, sometimes we respond to requests, we get to partner with people, we get to maybe just take some things on and fund them. We've done so many, some really crazy things over the years that were out of the blue but met a need for a year or two, uh, some things we've done in an ongoing way. So if this is all a new thought to you, uh, and you think, I, I just can't do it, I'd, I'd, I'd love to save the world, but I don't know what to do, so I'll leave it up to you. Um, you get to be a part of this uh, really neat movement of God's Spirit. You know, I hope you're reading the Bible. Uh, when I read the Bible, I keep bumping into people like me, which is so encouraging, because when I initially thought I'd read the Bible, I thought, I'll read about people who were, lived a long time ago, had nothing to do with me, uh, I couldn't relate to them, and as a brand new Bible reader at age 17, I devoured it because I kept running into people and situations that I could relate to as a senior in high school. It was amazing. I thought, why didn't anybody ever tell me about this? One of the interesting things I noticed, um, some of you heard me say this, I, I, at some point I thought, man, it's super repetitive reading the New Testament until somebody pointed out, well, there's four Gospels. See, it's the same story four times. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, but I kept seeing in these four Gospels over and over again these examples of Jesus having to remind his disciples who he was. And at one point, he was so popular, Jesus was happening. He was, had his 15 minutes of, of earthly fame, so to speak. And all of a sudden, people started leaving in droves because he started speaking the hard truths of life, right? He was saying that song, God, you love me with no conditions. True. Uh, his love is unconditional, but our response to it is highly conditional. Uh, repent and follow me. We're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, so the, uh, the disciples are kind of moping, gosh, the crowds have gone. This is not as exciting as it used to be. And Jesus said to them, well, how about you guys? Are you guys going to go too? And, and they were like, well, where would we go? Who, at, who else has words of eternal life? You know, uh, the, you've heard it probably lots of times if you've been in church. Jesus asks his disciples, uh, you know, what, what do, who do people say I am? And they had all these responses. Here's what we're hearing. Who do you say I am? And Peter says, well, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. And then five minutes later, Peter is telling Jesus not to do what he's supposed to do, and, and Peter rebu uh, is rebuked by Jesus. There's this notion of correcting them and bringing them back in a way that is constructive. This hit me as something so authentic in the Bible, it compelled me to read more. And then as I got into the Old Testament, uh, I'm reading about people like David and others who are people of faith, and yet they're constantly dealing with their own humanity. Can you relate to this at all? Right? And this is why when people say, oh, Christians are so hypocritical, I think, well, who isn't? That's, that's a condition of humanity. We are just naturally born professional, PhD-level hypocrites, all of us. And... Um, it's, it's what life is. And so when, to think that God comes to us in the midst of that is mind-boggling. It's so fantastic. Because otherwise we would be lost. We'd have so many good intentions leading us to places we didn't intend to end up. Years ago, um, uh, I was invited with uh, four other guys, so five of us on a 35-foot sailboat, uh, to race that sailboat uh, from California to Hawaii. And you couldn't use your motor. You, you had to just sail it, and you had to use you know, celestial and, and, and solar bearings. and all that. You couldn't use GPS. GPS was new. It was available. You couldn't use it. Uh, you had a chart. You had a compass, and that was it. And so um, it, was, it was a really fun thing. You're, you're racing around the clock. 24 hours a day, you're, you're racing. And uh, 
And at some point you realize, gosh, five guys out of 35 about is way too many guys. <laughs> but we worked like a really good team. And it was just so, it actually was really, really fun. And, it, and, and the name of the boat was, uh, it started out called, being called Raging Rosie, named after the original owner's mistress in Newport Beach. Um, and the guy that was putting the trip together buys the boat. He's a, a boat broker at the time. He buys it and he changes the name to Koinonia, which means community. Uh, we talked about that last week when we were talking about communion. Uh, when we talk about holy communion, we're talking about holy community, Koinonia. Anyway, so there we are being this community, and we're racing this boat, and we're into it, and we're on it, except that you have to, you have to radio in every day to the fleet, because there's dozens and dozens of you know, boats and sailors and teams out there racing this thing, and, and the big giant boats have to give the little boats a chance, like the 70-footers have to give the 35, you know, head start. But that's not going to deter us because we're going to leave them behind anyway. So, you know, first to last doesn't matter. Except that uh, when we log radio in, the, 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 the commandant of the, you know, the fleet, so to speak, is saying, Konawini, uh, who? Konania, yeah, yeah. Where are you guys? Well, no, here's where we are. You're not there. What do you mean we're not there? You are not where you say you are. And the guy who was you know, doing the, the navigating. He's really a smart guy. Had a boat, spent, has spent years on the water. I'd done boat trips with me. It's phenomenal. He didn't understand one small feature of map and compass, or chart, as they say in water terms, and compass, that magnetic north and true north has a deviation. Your compass, being a magnetic instrument, will always go to magnetic north, the problem is that's not true north, and your chart or your map is true north. And so depending on where you are on the planet, there is a number that says you have to adjust this many degrees. So I think if you're in Oregon somewhere, it's eight degrees. And, you know, so you go, oh, okay. And depending on going from the map to the, the compass or the compass to the map, you go up or down, right? So you're making that adjustment, declension. Um, the guy doing our navigating didn't know this. And so finally we figured out what the problem was, and it was a person. The problem was are not our instrumentation, uh, our good intentions. Hawaii was unconditionally there, waiting for us. Hawaii had no sense of, you know, well, fine, we're moving if you're not coming this way. No, they were there. They had, we had unconditional love and high regard coming to us from Hawaii. The Aloha Spirit was calling out to us. Unfortunately, we were not going toward the Aloha Spirit. We were on the way to the Solomon Islands or someplace, you know, 5,000 miles more away. Anyway, long story short is that this is the dilemma of our humanity. Uh, we need to constantly correct our, our, our magnetic north, our natural in the, in the flesh orientation to do what is right in our own eyes uh, to God's bearings. Uh, this is a factoid I, I learned recently. Um, the, for those of you who have, are, are cruisers, we have people in this congregation who spend a lot of time cruising. Um, cruising is a, an amazing see, way to see the world. Uh, perhaps you've seen this or heard of this, but I just found out about it a couple weeks ago, and that is once a year, uh, every big ship over a certain tonnage has to, in, a, in some port, do a 360. Did you know this? And so, um, and the motivation is Lloyd's of London. Uh, Lloyd's of London um, 
are, are called names, and people put in a zillion dollars each to insure things that they think will never need to pay out, and they make a fabulous amount of money on it. So to be sure that when they insure as a partnership uh, different, various combinations of people, this big ship, they want to know that, that that compass works. So Lloyd's demands that annually they, they do this. And so it's a beautiful thing because the, the cruise companies are brilliant. They've turned it into an event. Now you're in, in, in Sydney Harbor on a beautiful day and it's calm. And they say, the captain says, hey, everybody, get up on the deck. You're going to see a panorama, a 360-degree panorama of Sydney like you've never seen it before. And so it, it feels like a feature of the cruise. And what they're doing is they're checking off a box that if we don't do this, we don't get insurance for the next year. And it's a fantastic thing, though, you think about it. And what they do is they put magnets on all four ends of the you know, sides and front, you know, uh, uh, on the front and back of the boat. And they do this 360. But what's going on is the, the, the officers are watching the compass because they want the compass needle to stay at north. And so they're, in a sense, you know, going around the compass rows with the boat, but north has to be right on. If it's not, they have to set it or reset it correctly. Do you see this, how it sets up perfectly for where our dilemma is a human being when it comes to God? It's a fantastic thing. Um, I love the way Paul writes to the Colossians. Uh, Colossae was a small city uh, in what we now know as Turkey. And he says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Your identity is now in Christ. And it's as if you've been raised up. That's what baptism is. You're raised up with Christ. You've died to you. You're raised up to life with Christ. Even though you're living here, your, your orientation, your fixed point on the horizon is with God. So, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is, he's our true north. Our hearts are naturally set to magnetic north. It seemed like a good idea to me. It was really convenient. I know the instruction said this, but my gosh, come on. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Some folks have said, well, oh, I see, we're not supposed to be in any way interested in earthly things. No, that's missing the point. No. Uh, we definitely wanted to enjoy the ocean we definitely wanted to experience, you know, seeing weather coming at you from miles away, being in crazy situations that you didn't anticipate. Um, and we, it was nothing more beautiful than seeing land at some point. So we were very much, uh, you know, focused on earthly things, except that our compass and our map were guiding us. Because we were set on the, on the correct course, we could enjoy all those things. Otherwise, if we were just focusing on those things, it would be anybody's guess every day, where do you want to go? And it's different for every boat and wherever and they start and whatever time they start. Why? Because the currents are different, the, the wind is different, and so all of a sudden you've got all these factors, all these vectors to account for. If you don't have that fixed point, uh, you can't enjoy earthly things, so to speak. So this isn't a slam against earthly things. It's about saying, if you want to live fully in this world, you need to be fully focused on Jesus. So, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Why? For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So God has created us to have a heart for Him, a heart for Him and for His creation. He wants us to love Him and, and love people, right? Love God, love people. That's a summary of the great commandment. 
Now, the reality is, we don't just love people and say, hey, how, are, how you are is just fantastic, don't do different things. We love people with unconditional love, and then we say, hey, that thing you're doing, how's that working for you? It doesn't seem to be considering the fact that you're on a magnetic course and there's a better way for you to, to live. So it's not like we're not discerning about what's right or wrong, good or bad. Having a heart for God, though, allows us to lean into, live into, uh, this love for God and a, and a genuine, authentic love for His creation and being wise and discerning in the world. Because, not because we know it all, but we know what our bearings are. When you know what your bearings are, you feel like a genius. Because somebody says, well, there's a mountain there. You go, I know, but we're going over that mountain. Well, there's a mountain there. Why don't we go over it? Well, that's a 15,000-foot mountain, and what we're going to do is go around it and catch the we'll still get to the same place. Oh, so we get to plan our course creatively and effectively. That's what God's love does for us. He is our true north. So let me ask you the question, what do you have a heart for? What makes you feel alive and engaged? This is not a trick question. Oh, I know, it's supposed to be Jesus, right? No, it's supposed to be, what do you have a heart for? What makes you feel alive? Well, then align that with Christ, because otherwise you'll say, you know, surfing big waves sounds kind of trivial and ridiculous uh, and elitist. No, if that's what your heart yearns for, align that with Christ. Well, how would I align that with Christ? Write that on my surfboard? No. Write it on your heart, and wherever you go, seeking those big waves, connect with people out of who you are in Christ. Well, I'm not a big wave surfer. I'm a scrapbooker. That can't possibly count in God's kingdom. Yeah, oh, scrapbook people, I don't get it, but I appreciate it, <laughs> because um, they're capturing love in a picture, in a memory. They're creating markers of love. Are you kidding me? Now, if you line out in Christ, what does that mean to line out in Christ? Put crosses on all the pictures? And... No, it's saying, as you're doing the scrapbooking, you're praying for all the people you see in the pictures. I mean, think about all the ways we can apply this stuff. It's, it's not rocket science, and for all you rocket scientists, I'm not demeaning what you do. I'm just saying uh, that this is okay. Whatever you have a heart for, all of a sudden you say, okay, I have a... There was a high school kid here at one point. He's gone on to college and beyond now, but he, he caught this idea, and he said to us, hey, you know, I, I surf these... I, I, I skateboard these super long boards down really steep roads. Half the time it's illegal, but sometimes it's sanctioned. And I want to do it and, and, and uh, raise money for World Vision. Does that count? Because we were talking about supply chains with high school kids, if you can believe it. We are talking about um, how we do God's mission on, uh, and on God's terms, but in creative ways. And since high school kids said, does this count? My heart's set on Christ. I'm, I'm a semi-pro high school kid skateboarder, and I can generate money for a good cause. Does this count as God's mission? Yes, it does. Does that capture your heart and your mind? I hope you're thinking right now, okay, what is it that I really love doing? And how can I leverage that just literally out of what I do? I don't have to move. I don't need special equipment. I'm just already doing this stuff. I know what I'll do. I'm going to figure out how I can align this in Christ for Christ. Didn't it set you free? I could stop right now, but I'm not. I want to go a little further. Uh, three big ideas. Uh, so one, having a heart for Christ deepens our capacity to love God and his creation. So having a heart for Christ isn't it's just um, happy clappy, as they say in Great Britain, approach to faith. You know, 
and emotionally mushy, oh, it's beautiful. No, it's, it's rooted in truth. It's, it's moved uh, by God's Holy Spirit. It's powerful. Having a heart for Christ deepens our capacity to love God and his creation. We talk about having a mind for Christ, and, and the counterpart to that, the two sides of the same coin, is having a heart for Christ. So our capacity to love is the most valuable resource we have. For the greatest of these is love, is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There's all these great things, but the greatest of these is love. Yeah, but I, I can speak in ecstatic languages. I can do miracles. I can, awesome, fantastic. I give away, yeah, great. I know, fantastic. Keep doing that. But without love, it is nothing. And so our capacity to love is the primary factor in living well, a primary resource. Love well, you'll live well. Having a heart for God is wanting to do what God wants you to do. That's functional love. Loving God is simply wanting to do what God wants us to do. Well, I don't know what God wants me to do. Yeah, read the book. And you'll see all kinds of things that he's describing about how your love comes out. And then talk to people who've walked with God for a while, and they'll go, oh yeah, this is what I do to leverage that love. This is how I live into that love. And all these creative things come forward. So would you describe yourself as someone who has a heart for God? And not to put you on the spot, uh, or to cause you to be self-critical, but I would say it's good to be self-reflective <clears throat> and, and to think about, okay, well, where am I? Uh, so would you describe yourself as someone who has our for God? Ask yourself, am I responsive to the commandments, values, and priorities God reveals in his word? Or am I doing a Thomas Jefferson with the Bible? Nope, not that, nope, not new, that's out. And pretty soon you went from the book with God's word to a small pamphlet <laughs> a very flimsy pamphlet. This is my authorized version of the Bible. You know. Uh, another one, another question to ask yourself. Do I help and encourage others in having a heart for God through prayer and influence? For those of you who care about your kids and your grandkids, you're saying, but I can't tell them what to think or do. Well, no, that doesn't work. Did it work with you? No, it did not, it did not work with you. But what you can do is pray for them and influence them by the way you love them and listen to them and give them appropriate feedback, not correcting them always because you feel like, I can't open my mouth you don't put me down and tell me I don't know anything. But wow, every time I open my mouth and tell you a story, you listen and you, you relate it to something you've been through or you make an observation that all of a sudden expands my understanding of me. You didn't discount me. You just, Dad, I've never been so in love. Have you ever been in love? You're 14, you know. Now, this is what love really is about. You wouldn't understand. You know, you go, well, okay. What I have to do, what a, what a parent has to do, a grandparent has to do, is take a step back and say, this is a 13-year-old with a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old capacity of love. It is full. However, in several years, they'll have a larger capacity. So making big decisions now is not a good idea for what you're going to live. So you see where this goes? The powerful thing of, of helping and encouraging by, by prayer and influence, and influence comes through listening. How about this question? Do I spend time with God in study and prayer? Well, I'm dyslexic. That's not an excuse. Listen to the Bible then. <laughs> Have somebody read it to you. But you can get it, you know, you can get the Bible read to you, um, and you'll do it on your phone. So the fact that you're dyslexic, or, you know, whatever. Or I'm busy. Do you go for walks? Do you, you know, do anything when you could be listening to, yes. Okay. So do you spend time with, in, in, in um, study and prayer with God? 
Another question, uh, do I give my time, my talent, my treasure to serving God and supporting his mission in the world? Well, I, that's another interesting thing you brought up because I'm very busy, or I don't have any money, or I don't, okay, just start where you are, and how can you just take a creative look at your time, your talent, your treasure, and say, well, again, what can I leverage that would contribute to what I believe God is doing in just what I can see? And it, it also puts you in play to do things you never thought you could do because now you're part of a whole groundswell, perhaps, of people doing these things. And if I asked you to lift a car, you'd say you're out of your mind. Obviously, I can't lift a car. Ah, but if you get 10 friends, you probably might be able to lift a, one of those small clown cars, right? I'm not offending fiat drivers, all right? I'm just saying. Enough people can do stuff that you think is impossible. Final question I'd ask you is this. If I were accused of having a heart for God, brought up before a magistrate, the prosecutor is railing hard about, and this person has a heart for, you know, would there be evidence to convict me? Could you be convicted for having a heart or a mind for Christ? That's a different question than could you be convicted for pestering and mugging people in Jesus' name? So having a heart for God is basically growing up, being grounded in his truth and growing up into the fullness of who you are as a person. Uh, it's healing the emotional disparity between believing in God and or rebelling against God's word. I can't tell you in our culture how many people I meet who would say, of course I believe in Jesus, of course I have a relationship with Jesus, I just don't believe in doing all those things that his Bible says. And they immediately discount the word of God and they therefore immediately discount the person of God. Because what they've done is they become spiritual. They believe their spiritual gift is editing the Bible, improving the Bible. Uh, but, and that's, a, that's an, I call that an emotional disparity because when you talk to people and you see that gap, it's never some brilliant you know, an analysis of the Word of God in Greek and Hebrew. It's never some deep you know, research project of reading and looking at all the implications. No, it's an emotional response to, I don't like it. It doesn't work for me. Uh, and that's a big gap that, that takes us down. And though we want to have a heart for God, if that's a heart of God we're clinging to, it's a small, tiny heart that can't sustain life. As they say, you know, your heart is how, seven sizes too small, you know. So the Apostle Paul um, offers an example. Uh, he's writing, in, in, he's speaking, Luke is recording this in Acts 13. Uh, and and the, apostle, the Apostle Paul gives David as an example of someone who trusts God's commands, who's obedient and responsive to God because he, his heart for God. And so um, Paul says, God testified concerning him. As if, you know, Paul's saying, remember, we know from the prophets that God spoke and it's recorded in, in his word. And this was the Bible that everybody used, the Old Testament. And the quote is, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, I know what you're, what's going on in your mind right now. You're going, yeah, but. Yeah, wait a minute. But let's just pause for a second on that. Is there higher praise than having God say, I can count on you? Is there, no, is there any higher praise you can imagine than God saying, I can count on you? If you could talk to God and say, hey, tell me about Rand. I can, he's a guy I can count on. Okay, God, tell me about Steve. He's getting there. You know, you know, but that's what, what Paul is saying. God said about David, I can count on him because he has a heart for me. 
I can count on you to love me with your whole being and trust me in guiding you through life. I can count on you to learn from me, leaning into life's challenges with my help and helping others in my name. That was David's story, an epic story. Who can you count on? Who can count on you? We need God, we need people. Are you a person who can be counted on because you have a heart for God? If you say you have a heart for people, but you don't have a heart for God, you're going to have less of a heart for people. It's a highly conditional heart for people. I have a very convenient heart for people. If it's convenient for me, I have a heart for people. But when you truly have a heart for God, even uh, the inconvenience involved in loving people is something you take in stride. So isn't David, though, a bad example for having a heart for God? Let's just get right to the question that is in your mind. Um, I mean, if David could go off the rails, what's that? Well, first of all, it makes me feel like oh, there's another one of those guys in the Bible I can relate to, for sure. But James answers this. Uh, James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. That's compass confusion. I have no idea who I am, where I am, what I'm all about. And so David had forgotten who he was and to whom he belonged. He had compass confusion, clearly. He was really dialed in a magnetic north, not so much true north. He became deceived by his own power, his own importance, his own privilege. This is one of the, the ironies of getting older and, and having life work out for you. This is one of those things for walking with Christ for a long time. When you started with nothing, you'd say, Lord, give me my daily bread, please. And now you don't even think about it. David had a heart for God, but he forgot who he was. He'd become isolated in his own needs, his own wants, his own desires. So he had a motive shift, it's all about me, and a behavior shift. Therefore, pretty much I'm the arbiter of what I, I do. It happens to everybody. That's why once a year, the ship has to do a circle to be sure the compass is set correctly. So without refreshment and renewal, we all become complacent, we all become conflicted, we all become compromised. It's the human condition. Don't feel bad about it, don't hide it, don't you know, deny it. Just say, yeah, and this is why I'm constantly making these course corrections. I'm not panicked and neurotic about it. I'm just making the corrections as I need to. Uh, I checked um, our water pressure. Just because it was a cool tool you could buy for 10 bucks. A water pressure detector. So I, I plug it in. Awesome, we have 80 PSI water. That's awesome. Until somebody pointed out, no, it should be 50. Your pipes are going to blow up, you know. I'm thinking, whoa, I get, oh, so I just need to put, an, I have a regulator, but they go out. Apparently the regulator goes out more than I get to go out. So, I, you know, by putting a new regulator on, it goes back to 50 PSI. Just, it's, what, was that a moral failure as a homeowner? <laughs> no, just a factor you have to deal with. We're constantly correcting. We're, you know, does your car go one speed all the time? No, you're constantly correcting based, based on the conditions of the road. 
And so without this refreshment renewal, we will be complacent, conflicted, compromised. Jeremiah says it this way, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. He was not a motivational speaker. He lived down by the river in a van. You know, um, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And he says, he quotes, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. So you don't start with the premise that I have everything I need. <laughs> you start with the premise that I am so perfectly aligned with magnetic north, <laughs> I need what the Lord alone can provide to correct. So God confronted David through the prophet Nathan. And here's the beautiful thing about Nathan. I believe he gave David love, not hate. I believe when Nathan, he tells him this story, uh, and I'll go ahead and read it, I'm not going to tell you it, but he tells David the story, and David is outraged when he hears the story. Um, I'll tell you the story, okay. Um, it's based, based on the sin with Bathsheba, he's taken another man's wife, he has the husband set up to die, and Nathan says, you know, it's like, David, i got to tell you this incredible thing that's happened in your kingdom. He says, this family had one little lamb, the wealthy landowner next door wanted to entertain his friends with a big dinner. He took the little lamb instead of one of his own, and David was incensed. He says, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He was a passionate man, don't you think? And after he dies, he must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then David said, Nathan said to David, now imagine what was the tone that you think Nathan brought to this? At the top of his lungs, screaming, spit coming out of his mouth, you know, turning red, making David reach for his sword. I, and I think you too, imagine Nathan leaning in going, with tears in his eyes, David, 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 you are that man. And just... So who do you allow to speak to your heart? You might be sitting next to them today. Um, who allows you to speak to their heart? That's a, that's a right you have to earn. There was a lot of mileage between Nathan and David. Nathan had earned the right to be heard. David knew him as a righteous, humble man, a confident, bold man, a man who listened to God and spoke accordingly. He just told the most powerful person in his life that he was an absolute, you know, betrayer of God and people. He didn't deserve the role he held. And if he applied David's own justice, David would have to pay somebody something and they'd be executed. Who is reminding you who you are and to whom you belong? Uh, pray for people like this to be in your life. Plenty of people are going to yell at you, scream at you, come up with false things, to, to accuse you of, to make life miserable for you, exaggerate things, uh, false guilt you, things you shouldn't feel guilty of. You're, hey, how come you never call me? And it never dawns on you to say, well, you have a phone, call me. You know, I mean, false guilt gets in the way of real guilt. But who do you have who can really speak to you in those moments? And David's response, and so this is the second big idea, repentance reveals our heart for God, but so does our resistance. If you're resisting God, that reveals your heart for him. But David repented. It's revealing his heart. And David wrote Psalm 51 in response to Nathan's message from God. He knew what he needed to do. He did it. He reclaimed his heart for God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. 
according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, I ha- have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Well, it was Bathsheba, it was Uriah, right. Ultimately, we're accountable to God. You're right when you, in your verdict and justified uh, when you judge. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Grant me a willing spirit. I get to make choices. I have agency, but I'm depending on you. As Paul said in Colossians 1.29, I struggle with all his energy, which works so powerfully within me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners turn back to you. So what do you need to remember right now about who you are in Christ? Uh, What do you need to repent of right now? How are you turning your heart toward God in this season of your life? The heart for God is about your connection and your direction, not about your perfection. Your perfection will come in Christ. What you have control over, though, is your connection. Am I opening my heart to the Lord and submitting to Him? And my direction. Am I adjusting my course to His? He's given me access, full access to the entire world and to anything I could possibly imagine turning my attention and efforts to. But if I'm not aligned with Him, it's all for naught. I love the way the psalmist says in 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now again, tone is everything. Well, go ahead, God. See if there's any offensive way in me. The tone should be, Lord, uh, I might be missing this because we all have blind spots. So if I'm missing this, Lord, show me, reveal me, let somebody speak to me. Final point, uh, we develop a heart for God through diligence and discipline. It doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but let me give you a context here. The word diligence means I care. Look it up. Diligence is rooted in caring. And then look up the word discipline. Uh, It's not a punitive word. It's about committing. So having a heart for God is rooted in caring and committing. Caring about God and committing to God. Caring about you and committing to you in Him. It's to your benefit. Uh, Let me put it this way. Uh, There's no shame or regret in having a heart for God. There's no downside. Nobody gets to the end of it and says, why? Why did I give my heart to God? Uh, If you've been in bad dating or bad marriage relationships, you know you can give your heart to the wrong person. It takes a a willing man and a willing woman to make a relationship work, and if one is not willing, uh, it's not going to work. Nobody has ever said, you know, I gave my heart to God, and what a disaster that was. No. No. What happens is, uh, in this process of diligence and discipline, you gain biblical knowledge, which leads to wisdom, personal growth, which leads to EQ, and ministry skills that leads to missional impact. Some beautiful things come out of this. And, and, and the joy and delight is, is a righteous joy in the things that God alone can provide and confirm. So here's what the Bible says about that. 
uh, in Psalm um, 18, 19. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. God is super happy for you. He's rejoicing in you. Um, in Psalm 149, for the Lord takes delight in his people. Do you think of God that way? He's always waiting for me to screw up. He's always ready to catch me doing something wrong. No, he delights in you. When you're sleeping, he just wants to watch you like a, a parent of a newborn. And then we get to delight in him. Isaiah said it this way, 61.10. I delight greatly in the Lord, for my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. And finally, you know, I leave you with this. Uh, if, if, if it's loving God and, and loving others, it is a secret to life. This is what Jesus confirmed. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbors yourself. This fulfills the commandments. That's a fancy way of saying this fills your heart. Uh, commandment is just that Hebrew word, uh, uh, mishpat. Um, mishvot is the, co- to, you know, the uh, multiple of that. So these mishvot, these commandments, are ways of expressing your heart, filling your heart, opening your heart. It's all about the heart. Our mind helps us make discernible decisions, but our heart is what is it's us. And so heart for God and mind for God is how we live and love wisely and deeply. You'll be, you'll be the one when you walk into any gathering bringing faith, hope, and love. You'll have a staying power in facing life's challenges with courage and creativity. Your presence will cause people to say, I thank God for you. And you can be a person after God's own heart simply because he has a heart for you. Amazing to think about it. In him, you are a light in the darkness, a river in the desert. You are the hope of the world. Uh, we're going to have a song and reflect on what this means as we offer ourselves to God. And then right after that, uh, we're going to recognize uh, a couple who personify this, and they're, they're moving. So we're going to be commissioning them and sending them off that they could have the same impact where they go that they've had here. So let's start with you offering you to the Lord in this music, and then Drake's going to come up and lead us into this commissioning time as we wrap up.
Something we'd like to do as a church is just uh, pray for and commission anyone who's leaving, um, leaving permanently in this case, uh, moving, or if you're just leaving for, for three months. Um, uh, in our modern world, that happens often, and we'd love to be praying for you. So um, today we're going to invite Andy and Kathy Dobbs up front, and, um, and for sure, if, if that's in your future, let us know because we want to be, be praying for you as well. Um, so as they make their way up here, I'll, uh, I'll introduce them. So Andy... Uh, came to us about seven seven years ago, became the school church janitor, and he's been working hard ever since. And um, Andy and Kathy joined the church five years ago, four, four or five years, six years ago. Yeah, so became members. And um, you've probably seen them praying. Andy this morning prayed. Um, uh, so they, they've been a part of our church, and we're going to miss them. Um, so uh, so I, I'll just ask them a couple questions just so you, if you don't know them, you get to know them. And then make sure after church you say bye. Um, and uh, 
Just wish them well. Yeah. So, uh, Andy, for you, uh, just tell us about your time here, both at the church and the school, what you got out of it, what, you, um, what you'll miss. Um, and, uh, yeah. You can pick one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'll miss all the, everyone here who, whose staff has been wonderful. Uh, the church has been very supportive, not only for me, but our family. And uh, um, when you look at a preschool janitor's job qualifications, you'll see that it's pretty obvious. When you have about 100 preschoolers, things happen. Uh, spills are made organically <laughs> and other things. Um, and you can get quite uh, cynical uh, to go, oh, I gotta do this again. This kid keeps going all the time. What's the matter with him? Um, but I feel it's important that I know there's a kid sitting there who did that, and he's feeling embarrassed. He's feeling horrible. And uh, to go in with that attitude is, is uh, not right and isn't helping him. I feel that um, even the mundaneness of the job sometimes, there has to be a, a sense of ministry. And if you don't have that, you're losing the fact that you are being able to have this job here at this church and you're missing the fact that you could be helping or ministering um, to not only the kids, but their parents going through a lot these, year, these times. So it's a, it was a great job. I, I'll miss everybody. I'll miss the kids and the staff and the teachers and the, all that stuff. And uh, um, I don't know if I'll be doing it. Uh, we're moving to Abilene, Texas. And I don't know if I'm going to be doing that type of work again. But... Uh, for 22 years, it's been um, a great uh, job, a great ministry, and the Lord's blessed it. Thank you. And Kathy, for you, maybe you can just tell us about what's next in both your lives, where you're headed, and then how we could be praying for you. Yeah, uh, we don't know what's next. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've lived in California all my life, so going to Texas is a big change. My sister lives there, so we are going to family. And she's going to be grateful because there hasn't been any of our family there. So we're going to go and be with her. And, um, yeah, just prayers for how to get it all packed up and how to get there in one piece and how to avoid nausea on the way because I have super bad motion sickness. <laughs> but um, my, um, my brother-in-law and niece who live there are coming down on Friday to help us, and we're so grateful for that. And, I agree with Andy. We're so grateful for this church. I tend to be on the quieter side, but I've loved the worship. Amazing sermon today. Very, very good, especially seeing that we're going in a different direction physically, uh, making sure that we're um, keeping that true north in our lives is um, was very, very good. And thank you for the worship always, you guys. It's always amazing. I love to worship the Lord. Thank you both. Yeah, we're going to miss you. So um, Steve's going to come up and, and pray for you and commission you. Uh, so I said that the, the, what we call Christianity, this, this idea of being followers of Jesus, we're part of a movement of God's spirit. And, and you've been responding to that movement of God's spirit through the Jesus movement and, and, and through your ministry here. Um, and now you're taking that with you where you go, meeting other people who are walking with Jesus. You'll be encouraging them. You'll be bringing a, another, maybe a fresher perspective. You'll be confirming what they already are doing. Uh, you're like the, the, the cavalry coming over the hill, you know, reinforcing. And, uh, 
I, I'm, we're, we're excited to see and hear how God leads you and connects you to continue this mission in you and this mission through you uh, to other people. You've been so faithful to that. A great role model and example to all of us here. And you'll continue to be that. And uh, I, I love the idea that somebody somewhere is going to be saying, where did these people come from? <laughs> and, and, and why did they come here? And, and God's going to lead you and guide you and uh, continue to bless you and multiply the impact of, of his ministry in you and his ministry through you. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for Andy and Kathy and for all that has gone on in their life to make them who they are in you with deep wisdom, uh, knowledge, uh, able to articulate your word, with a tender and compassionate heart to care for people and listen to them carefully, uh, to be ready uh, to give a reason for the hope that is within them. And now, Lord, we pray that as they have fulfilled your assignment for them here, in this next season of their life, you'd open up all kinds of avenues, doors, uh, opportunities for them to be ministered to uh, and encouraged in their walk with you, and likewise to minister and encourage others. I pray for others who are sitting here today, uh, knowing who they are right now, that they are in a transition of their own. I pray for them uh, in, in their way, uh, in their time, to experience your presence, uh, lifting them up and carrying them through, whether it's a challenging transition or a joyous, wonderful opportunity of a transition, that they would see it as your hand on them, you creating divine appointments for them with other people and with you. So, Lord, I pray that for each one of us, that we would live our lives that way, one day at a time, now and forever. And so we commit these two uh, dear servants of yours to you. And in the high and the holy name of Jesus, amen. So let me offer a benediction. Would you please stand, and I'll offer a benediction to everybody. Final blessing. Uh, and now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can even imagine continue giving you what you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And if we can pray for you before you leave today, uh, go right out to the prayer garden. There's a team out there to pray. If you want somebody to eat or drink, stop and refresh yourself and say hello to somebody. God bless you. Have a good rest of your day.